0: Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me your host Matt Edmondson. Uh, this is a show, a podcast uh, all about helping you to deliver e-commerce. Wow. And we have a very special guest today to help us do just that. Uh, Harry Drajpuk from Amware Fulfillment. We're going to be chatting about how to build a fulfillment infrastructure that will scale with your business. But before we jump into that. Let me suggest a few other e-commerce podcast episodes to listen to that I also think you're going to enjoy. Check out my conversation with Justin Sim about the perfect warehouse and how it could save you time and money and make your life easier, which let's face it, Sounds like a brilliant thing, right? Uh, And also check out my conversation with Matt Barnett about personalizing the customer journey to increase lifetime value. You can find both these episodes along with our entire back catalog uh, for free on our website, ecommercepodcast.net. Head over there. It's easy. It's easy to find. You just need a web browser. That's it. (laughs) Now, this episode is brought to you by the e-commerce cohort, which helps deliver e-commerce wow to your customers. Have you ever found it hard to keep up with the world of e-commerce where it changes so fast and figuring it all out can actually be a bit of a nightmare? And that's before you even look at your own online business and try and figure out what you should work on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? Uh, Well, enter the e-commerce cohort to solve this problem and many others. It's a lightweight membership group with guided monthly sprints that cycle through all the key areas of e-commerce. The sole purpose of which is basically to help you grow and scale your online business, gives you clear, actionable jobs to be done, and you'll know what to work on. And also get the support you need to get it done. So whether you are just starting out in e-commerce or whether like me, you've been around a little while, I would like to call myself a well-established e-commercer, which is translated for dinosaur. But there you go, I encourage you to check it out. Honestly, if you have been in, if you have been, if you are in e-commerce, wherever you are on your e-commerce journey. Seriously, check it out. It's going to be great for you. Uh, ecommercecohort.com is the website. Uh, Or you can email me directly, matt at ecommercepodcast.net. With any any questions that you have, uh, we'll do our level best to answer them because honestly, this thing is shamazing. Yes, it is. Check it out. Anyway, all of that said, without further ado, here's my conversation with the fantabulous Harry. Well, I am here with Harry Drapush. He is the CEO of Amware Fulfillment. And guess what, right? He's had 30 years experience in the logistics industry. Uh, He's been an executive uh, in the whole thing. He has got so much experience uh, in, in logistics, in executive management, people parcels, the whole deal. We're going to get into that into this week's episode. In his previous role uh, as the CEO of Amware Logistics, he was responsible for technology and the performance of eight nationwide fulfillment centers in the US. And prior to that, uh, he was the president and CEO of Weber Logistics, where he had full p and responsibility for 15 distribution centers uh, and a large regional Truckload fleet. Translate that into modern English. That sounds like a massive headache. But we're gonna we're gonna talk to Harry about all of this. He's served as the CEO of third-party logistics provider Kane is Able, which I think is one of the coolest company names I've come across for a while. And when he's not shaking things up in the boardroom, Harry will be likely off flying his plane. He is an instrument-rated pilot too, uh, which uh, Harry, uh, welcome to the show. I, I'm excited to be talking to someone who's actually got their pilot's license, principally because last night I spent about an hour and a half looking at what it was going to take for me to get my pri- uh, private pilot's license here in the UK. But maybe we'll get onto that. Maybe we
1: won't. But welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Looking forward to it, Matt. Really excited about talking about my favorite subject, Logistics.
0: how did you um i I can't imagine right that as a whereabouts in the states did you grow up uh in the northeast upstate new york so you you definitely sound like you've got that kind of new york kind of accent going on there which is just beautiful but i can't imagine that as a kid growing up in the streets of new york you you sat there in school dreaming one day of running logistics companies. Uh, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've misread the situation. So how did you
1: get into that whole thing? So that's, uh, it's an interesting way that I I, uh, wound up in logistics. Uh, Interestingly enough, after I graduated college uh, with a marketing degree, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was sell. But unfortunately, those were the only (laughs) type of jobs available was selling. And I actually went to work uh, um, for a, a business forms company. And I just happened to call on a trucking terminal, uh, it was a cold call. I walked in and he said, you know, we don't buy our forms here locally. Uh, but would you be interested in a career in trucking? And I said, I don't know the first thing about trucking. And, uh, we just got to talk for an hour and, uh, it just sounded like a very, very interesting, um, field, uh, certainly more interesting than business forms. Uh, and that's really how it started. I, from from that point, I spent ten years in local transportation, uh, and then I was actually recruited by a, by a company if I was interested now, and uh, in, not in the rolling stock, but would I be interested in the in the four wall environment of warehousing? And uh, so I made the transition. Uh, it's been thirty years in the I'll say in the warehousing logistics business, and it's really changed over the thirty years from. Uh, you know, industrial yeah. B2B to really the 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 explosion of e-commerce and direct consumers. Mm. Yeah, I bet it's changed
0: a lot. And I'm keen to pick your brains on that whole thing. Uh, so you got into logistics just because of a chance conversation with a guy who you said you fancy getting into trucking a few years ago.
1: It, it was just, it was really that simple. The, the 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 enticing thing about that was I was offered a company car and an expense account. And he said, you're going to spend half of your time entertaining people, lunch, dinner, weekends, your home. You need to become very, very close to these people who make decisions about which trucking company to use. So that kind of intrigued me. And it was, you know, you can take people out. You can take them to places you like. You can take them out to places they like. As a young man, that was, uh, you know, really exciting. So I said, yeah, let's have a go at it. That's interesting
0: because this, one of the things that you don't do these days in e-commerce or in digital businesses is you don't do that. You don't take people out for lunch. You, you, know, you try and grab 10 minutes on a Zoom call somewhere if you can. Do you know what I mean? You, we seem to have, I don't know if we've lost that ability to, to interact with people per se, but it, maybe it's not as needed as much now. I don't know. I, I, is this a lost skill, do you think, or, or, or am I misreading it?
1: No, I don't think you're misreading it. I think back then that was a segue to getting to know people and getting them to trust you. Um, you know, the, back then the industry was very, very heavily regulated. And so choices were, uh, weren't as wide as they were today. Uh, it was kind of like the airline business, right? You, you get a seat, you go from A to B. It almost doesn't matter what airline it is. They serve a little different food, but, you know, the planes are all the same. Uh, the business was back then, so why 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 go with harry's company? you know and and so you mm-hmm. tried to build up this relationship with a trusted you personally as opposed to trusting the company today it's mm-hmm. very, very different, right you're 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 giving in, in the e commerce world, you're giving your product, your lifeline um, your 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 revenue source uh, to someone to a company. Uh, And it's great that you like Harry, but is the company competent? Can the company, you know, maneuver? And are Mm -hmm. they flexible enough and agile enough to change with the volatility of what's going on out there? So today you have to lead uh, with a skill set and with a reputation and a service. And after that, you get to know your customers. You, You know, you get to know them on a personal level so that they feel if there's a need, they've got someone that they can rely on. Uh, other than just an automated uh, response when they call a number for help.
0: That's fascinating.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because you are right. I mean,
0: now if I, if I, like yesterday, I was looking up the details of a company, um, deciding whether or not to do business with them. First thing I did was go to Trustpilot, which is a review platform, and I wanted to see what reviews other people had left. Uh, and being trust pilot, I had maybe fifty percent confidence that the reviews were genuine and real. So I did a bit more digging um, around that company, but I did it all from the comfort of my own home, all with my laptop. And within ten minutes, I I googled and figured enough out about that company to go. You know what? I'm not interested. I'm out. Right? I just this is, there's just no way. Um, there was no lunch. There was no wine in. There was no dining. There was nothing like that. Um, it was just all done from. A review set, so it's I'm intrigued to know um harry how you how you see leadership in some respects going from what I would call old school, you know the the let's go out to dinner, you know, meet the family to oh look,
1: you've got a bad review on google i'm I'm not interested um it's really uh, it's really about competence, uh, it's really about energy for leadership um, as i said it's a it's a volatile industry. Um, it's not manufacturing. You can't say tomorrow I'm going to put out 500 orders or 5,000 orders. It's you know what excites people on the web to buy from my customers that drives volume. So so people have to be um, extremely sharp, knowledgeable, understand the business, um, but but more certainly uh, a positive attitude because customers are navigating out there uh, and they're competing, you know, uh, uh, for the for the sales dollar. They've got to make themselves a little bit unique. Um, and so mm-hmm. the, the, the demands of the business change from day to day. And you have to, you, the expectation is that you can adapt to it. And you can be the nicest guy in the world. You can be the best dinner conversation. Everybody wants to hear about flying. But can you get my product to my customer and the way they want it, when they want it, and how they want it? Uh, whenever they want it. That, that's that's the key thing today. And if you can do those things, then it, again, from a leadership perspective, you've got to have people who always think before they speak and try to figure out, how do I make this happen? Customers ask you for a specific reason, and when they ask you it's something they really need, they're not trying to inconvenience me or my company, they're not trying to make it difficult, they're trying to make a buck, they're trying to sell, they're trying to compete, Mm. they're trying to understand the market and what they can do to stay ahead of their competitors, uh, you know, for that dollar. So uh, that's the kind of leadership that you have to have. It's Mm. always thinking. Uh, Again, it's very positive uh, is important because you're solving problems every day in the business. Yeah, it's.
0: See, the, 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 the thing about what you've just said is actually the principles of leadership have stayed in effect the same. What you've talked about today is not different to what you needed 20, 30 years ago. It's just a different environment in which they operate now, right, and understanding the environment. So um, let me just touch on the airplane thing, uh, because I came when I was doing a, you know that really unhealthy stalking thing, and I was just going through your LinkedIn profile, um, I saw on there that you spent a little bit of time mentoring teens in developing an interest in aviation this is going back a few years and so obviously you've been doing the flying thing for a, for a fair while and you've you've been involved in in these sort of organizations that that mentor teens uh, in in aviation why? how come you uh, trucking and flying? Right. I mean, they're linked, I suppose. Is that how you got into the aviation thing? Or was it just one day you just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go fly a plane, watch Top Gun and that's it. I'm off, which was my problem.
1: <laughs> um, I, I, I got into aviation uh, almost the same way I've got into logistics. I, I actually had a fear of flying. I didn't get on an airplane until I was 28 years old. And, um, you know, if you're going to if you want to advance in the business world, you can't take the train everywhere. You can't take a bus. You can't take a car. At some point, you've got to get on an airplane. And Mm -hmm. my first experience on an airplane was white knuckle. Uh, Literally, I I, I think I I ripped out the arms. I was just gripping them so tight. The flight was an hour and a half was a short flight from Newark, New Jersey to Rochester, New York. I'll never forget it. Um, and when I got off my knees, were shy. I just didn't like flying, I didn't know what kept airplanes in the air. Uh, and right. so, um, I decided to start to read up on it, uh, learn about avionics, aviation, what keeps planes flying, you know, what technology improvements have happened. And I used to drive by a glider port, a sail port, uh, uh mm. once a week. And, uh, for, for, for a birthday present, uh, I, I, I got myself a demonstration flight in a glider, right? Motorless flight. And uh, part of that demonstration was uh, the, the fella in the back seat, the instructor lets you take the stick and, you know, you can maneuver the plane a little bit. It was like, really? You, you're going you're gonna to let me do that? He goes, no, worry, you won't hurt anything. So I grabbed that stick. I don't think I've ever held anything as tightly in my entire life. I made little <laughs> movements on it and and I was so excited uh, when he took it back that I didn't harm anything that when I get that when I got down when we landed I walked right up to the office and bought uh, 20 lessons uh, to start that oh wow that's how I got a deviation
0: and I, that but you did it intentionally to overcome your fear of flying. So were you still afraid of flying when you got
1: into that glider for the first time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, not as much. I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't white knuckled. You know, there's still some trepidation. Um, you, you know, there's the newness of everything. And it's not what you know, it's what you don't know. Uh, and, you know, you think about everything that's ahead of you that you have to learn to be safe and proficient. Um, but over, o- over the first few lessons, I became uh, comfortable. And you get to a point where it almost becomes second nature to fly in that you don't think about the adverse uh, uh, potential mm. of something happening. You're, you're always thinking about uh, ways to just be safe. And if this happens and that happens, here's what you do. Flying is a very, very interesting thing. It's, uh, it's always preparing uh, for an event. Uh, what if this happened? What if you, what if you ran out of fuel? Uh, what if circumstances changed? What if weather changed? What if you had to land in? meet? You're always thinking about that, uh, when you're flying. And when you, when you, when you transition from that business is no different. Um, everybody can do things when things go well, when you're not thrown a mm-hmm. curveball, so to speak, when everything goes according to Hoyle, when everything happens as it should happens, life is good. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Things occur every day in the business um, from simple things like printers start malfunctioning and, you know, you lose your system. You lose electricity in the building. There's uh, people don't show up for work for some reason. There's a a high degree of call out. There's a sickness. There's a snowstorm. Uh, Customers expect things to get done. Regardless of what happens, they expect Mm. us to have a plan B and a plan C so that we can always make sure that their customers are not not dissatisfied. And that's not an unreasonable expectation. That is in part why they come to us and ask us to handle their business. Mm. That's a really interesting point, always preparing for the unknown.
0: And so I guess you learn that from flying. That, I think, Harry, uh, is going to be a great excuse that I can use to say to my wife, listen, this is the reason why I should learn to fly. It's going to make me a better businessman.
1: (laughs) It it will make your weekends uh, much more interesting because instead of of a three-hour drive to go enjoy something, you can now take a three-hour flight. And in a three-hour flight, you can cover 600 miles. Versus in a three-hour drive where you're covering 180 miles or 120 kilometers, yeah. whatever the case may be. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's very true. And so, is that what you do? Is that how you spend your weekends? You just fly different parts of the country and just hang out?
1: Uh, used to used to do much much more flying than I do today. Business uh, with business the way it is today, and and uh, and the organization growing the way it is, it takes a, a little bit more time to focus on that. But yes, uh, we'll we'll look for weekend getaways. Uh, that are a three-hour flight and uh, leave on a Friday night or on a Saturday morning and come home on a Sunday mm. night. And I get to see some wonderful things as a result of that. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds fantastic.
0: So, Harry, you've been um, you've been around for 30-odd years in the fulfillment industry, right? You've, that's a lot of trucks. That's a lot of miles that you've sort of been involved with. Um, that's a lot of parcels shipped shipped all over the place. What... What are some of the key things that have changed? I mean, you alluded to, you know, it used to be more business to business. Now e-commerce has sort of sort of exploded. But, but what are some of the key things that you've seen change over those 30
1: years? Oh, much has changed in the business. Um, Where uh, direct-to-consumer was almost minuscule 30 years ago, uh, almost part mm-hmm. of. Uh, today it's the norm. So shipments that used to go into large distribution centers or large retailers, and they would handle the final, you know, sale to the customer, uh, you know, now it's 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 us shipping directly to you. Uh, mm-hmm. That experience is now when you open the the, the package from us. I think what's changed uh, over time is people's expectations. Used to be okay when you ordered something online if it took a week or eight days that was kind of okay you know that was kind of the norm right and then Amazon opened up and then said hey we can get your shipment to you next day and all yeah. of a sudden hey Harry uh, can you do next day I mean we want to mm-hmm. want to get our product out the door when you know we give you an order today want you to fill it today so our customer gets it next day so expectations have changed from speed. Um, from quality of service, uh, the ability to do different things, um, you know, not just pick a unit, but to uh, to customize it, if you will, to make changes to it, to package differently, uh, to do nice packaging, to add a special card with a personalization. Um, you know, 30 years ago, that was unheard of. You want us to what? No, we don't. Do that. We're not going to write anybody a card. Come on. We don't do that. And today, the expectation is to be as flexible and to figure out whatever it is we're asking you to do, help us do that because that's something that differentiates us in the marketplace. That's a really, uh, I I, I like the word you use there, flexible,
0: because I think that's what everybody wants, isn't it, these days? We just want you to be, we want you to do it a little bit differently for us because we don't want to be the same as everybody else because being seen to be the same as everybody else, being vanilla, being bland and boring, you don't tend to differentiate yourself. Um, and so being flexible I think is is important. it's interesting how you contrast that to thirty years ago. It's like no, we're not going to write a card don't be don't don't be crazy, but now, sure, do you want us to spray perfume on the card as well? we can put like a a lipstick imprint on there what what do you want? Tell us what you want, and we can be a bit more flexible and um, How easy has it been for you guys to make that transition? The reason I'm asking this is because actually for me, this is one of the 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 things I think a lot of e-commerce businesses struggle themselves with is being that flexible and adapting to changing consumer demand relatively quickly, actually. Like you say, a few years ago, you were fine with an eight-day delivery. Now you want it next day. But actually, I want it next day with the card, with the perfume, with the lipstick, with the chocolate. And and I, as an e-commerce entrepreneur, have to keep up with that. So how have you dealt with that sort of rapid consumer uh, change in demand?
1: So, um S- several things um it, it starts it starts with people. Um, you have to make sure that the the people in your organization and those that you hire uh, you know have the right uh, have the right attitude about willing to serve, uh, about willing to please, about wanting to do a very, very good job as opposed to just do a job. I come in, I'm here mm-hmm. for eight hours. You know, why do I have to do this? Why do they have to have that? Why do they have to make it difficult? I got to get all these orders out. Why do I have to do that? Um, If you start with a a base from that, you're pushing a rock uphill. But if you can, uh, if you can be selective in your hiring, look for people that have that, that want to do something a little bit differently that see it as a challenge that want to grow, that want to expand the things they do because it makes it interesting over the course of a day. Um, and then internally from your own leadership team, as I had mentioned earlier, positive energy is really, really critical because there's, there's all sorts of pressures on the business today um, to be quick, to be perfect. Social media keeps my customers up at night, right? Just like you do. Everybody <laughs> yes. gets online, not just to find out, should I try this mm-hmm. company? But once you, once you try it, you write the review. Hey, ordered yes. something from ABC Company, got the totally wrong thing. It was packaged miserably. I ordered three, I got two. Now I've got to return it. What a hassle! And that keeps my that keeps my customers up at night. So, so the ability to to have people um, employees put themselves in the end user's shoes. Would you want to open up a package that wasn't done right? That it appears somebody didn't care. Just mm-hmm. pushed in there, shoved in, not 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 taken care of. Uh, packaged wrong, you've waited for this thing, you've placed the order, and now it comes and you're disappointed. Now you have to wait for it again. You, you, if you can change the mindset from internal, this is the job I have to do and get it done. Uh, you know, here's when I come in in the morning, here's my inbox. When I go out, it's like this, I had a good day, as opposed to, did I take the care? Did I do it right? Did I, did I think about the person who's going to open this up and, and enjoy it? And I'm a part of that. So, so, Finding people who want to do that and then having an atmosphere that walks the talk, that supports that, you know, that is invested with them and make sure that they, they understand what it is we're doing and they have care and passion and, and it mm-hmm. shows in your work that's that
0: you know what if you're listening to the podcast just rewind that section uh, and write that down because that's uh, that that's gold uh, and um, listen we're going to carry on this conversation there's a couple of things that harry's just said that i really want to dig into uh, specifically uh, i want to get into this whole opening experience um, and some of the things that we should think about when sending parcels out to customers uh, don't go anywhere we'll be right back in just a few short moments after this quick sponsor break hey there are you a business owner here at orient digital we know firsthand that running an e-commerce business can be really hard work as the online space gets more competitive it is becoming even more challenging to stay ahead of the curve we totally get it so we want to help you succeed by offering a wide range of services from fulfillment marketing customer service and even coaching and consulting just so that you can do what matters most Save yourself the time and the money and let us handle the day-to-day tasks. This way, you can run your business without having to worry about the boring stuff. So what do you say? Are we a good fit for each other? Come check us out at
1: oriondigital.com and let us know what you think.
0: Okay, I'm back with Harry. Uh, now, Harry, before, we, uh, before you you talked about um, one of the keys uh, to keeping up with the change in consumer demand. Um, the phrase you used was to put yourself uh, in your consumer and your customers' shoes, right? Would you want to receive a parcel like this? for example. And for me, I, one of the messages, I guess, I've been banging on uh, for about uh, for a little while on my little soapbox is how, how you differentiate yourself from Amazon, right? Amazon are always going to get it there quicker than you, more than likely, because it's Amazon. But what Amazon do is they send their orders out in a very boring box with very boring internal packaging. Do you know what I mean? And it's like nothing about it is interesting. Nothing about it is inspiring. And so there's a real opportunity, I think, that we have as e-commerce entrepreneurs with what I call the opening experience, right? Because this is the first time that your customer has touched something from you. Everything up until this point has been pixels, right? They've looked on a website. They've got email notifications. It's all been pixels. Now it's actually real. It's the first time they get to touch anything. What have you noticed of but recently, I guess, about how people are packaging stuff and sending stuff out that are maybe
1: some of the latest trends, some of the ideas that we should probably think about. Um, well, it is all about the experience. Um, things that things that if you have, if you're shipping out things that have multiple items in the box, um, could be could be um, could be perfumes. Could be uh, skin creams, uh, lotions, potions. Could be nutraceuticals. You've got a whole seven-day regimen. I think um, aids uh, aids that keep everything in a box orderly. Inserts foam uh, that holds the product um, so that it looks neat when it comes. M- my customers are high end uh, uh, high end retailers, if you will. They're not mm-hmm. ste- they're not yeah. selling a commodity. They're selling a unique brand, a unique product. There's probably a little bit of an upcharge or maybe a lot of an upcharge for that. Mm-hmm. They, they they want that open box to look like someone had taken the time, the care. Um, we do write personal notes. Some customers ask us to have a handwritten note that goes, that's addressed to Matt. Matt, thank you for your order. We hope you're happy. Uh, if there's any issue at all, you know, whatever it may be, call, email, email. Um, so I think um, as as you think about uh, how that happens to your customer, why, you know, you have to think about the smile that they get when they open it and the fact that they're going to want to buy again because they're going to want that experience again. They're going to they're going to be justified in making the the purchase and the potential premium for your product.
0: I like that.
1: <clears throat> I like that. Think about the smile when they open it. That's um...
0: You see, one of the brands that I've I've seen do this super well is obviously Apple, right? They to the point where even how they wrap their cable, it, it just like it's like a piece of art, do you know what I mean? And and the way it 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 arrives perfectly sort of coiled in the box and everything's fit and snug. Even when you open the box, it takes five minutes for it to because it's so well fitting, do you know what I mean? And the sort of suction type thing. Is this something, um, is this something that consumers, uh, consumers uh, something that e-commerce retailers should definitely be thinking about in terms of, you know, there are brands like Apple pioneering this kind of thing, but there are people that do sell commodities. Yeah, I don't know. They may may sell supplements or something like that. Should they be thinking about their packaging and always trying to sort of innovate and push forward?
1: For many reasons, yes. Um, and I'll start with Amazon puts the smile outside the box. We put the smile inside the box. And, and, you know, <laughs> you yes, see, the, I love that. With, right. What is the difference between that? And, and there are numerous differences. But 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 the but the but the answer is, is yes. It's um it's just critical to think about um, what goes inside the package other than the product. Again, uh, to differentiate to differentiate yourself and to make that purchase uh, worthwhile, to make it that it justifies the premium that you're going to pay, Um, different kind of tissue papers that we add, colored, but it's also important to vary that, right? Month Mm. to month, quarter to quarter, uh, make it a little bit different for people so that each time they look forward to something new when they open up the box. It's not just the product that my customers are selling, it's that whole experience that starts from the time they place the order till they actually received the package. And that weight and that expense was all worthwhile. Uh, you know, you noticed uh, how how Apple packages the product. Many people notice how it's not packaged. I remember getting one of my first shipments from Amazon, and it was actually, it was actually a beverage. And they had thrown two six-packs into a container, put a little bit of uh, paper in it, and that was it. When I got it, you could shake it, you could hear it. Opened it up Mm -hmm. and, listen, you know, okay, I got it, right? That's mass production. Uh, It's kind of like it's the difference between buying a Chevy and a cheap car, a cheaper car, a base car, and really buying a BMW or a Mercedes or a Rolls, a high-end car. That's brilliant. I, Harry, just so you know,
0: I am going to steal that, but I will give you credit. Amazon put the smile on the outside of the box. We put the smile on the inside. I'm going to use that because that's genius. And um, I think, again, if you're listening to this and you have an e-commerce business, that's such a great idea. Just that simple principle. If you're competing with, you know, Amazon retailers, and you're kind of going, Amazon are doing this. It's like, yeah, but they put the smile on the outside of the box. You have a chance to put it on the inside. Like it, that I think is very clever. So if I'm if I'm a growing business, I've set my e-commerce business up, and I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm starting to get some success. I'm coming to the point where I'm thinking, do I outsource my fulfilment? um I've probably, to be fair, like most entrepreneurs when they start, been doing it from my kitchen uh, and my stocks in the garage. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm shipping it out from the post office. Um, I guess there's, there comes a point, doesn't there, where you kind of go: Do I outsource this, or do I do I set my own warehouse up? Um, and when we when we started out in e commerce, to be fair, the only real option for us was to develop our own warehouse because it it wasn't like you say the direct consumer wasn't a common thing. UPS wouldn't deliver to people's houses unless you paid them an extra twenty bucks or something. crazy uh, because they were used to shipping to businesses. Um, that, what are some of the things that I should think about at that junction? Do you know what I mean? I'm stood there now and I'm thinking about
1: these two possibilities. What are the, some of the things that I should think about? Um, well, for sure, you should think about uh, what is it going to cost you as your business grows uh, to be able to do the back end, the shipping, to be able to do that service? Um, you know, What kind of space do you need? Uh, do you buy it? Do you lease it? How big? How much? For how long? Can you manage people? Can you hire them? Can you onboard them? Can you keep them? Um, You know, do you have the infrastructure? Do you want the infrastructure to do that? So, you know, at the end of the day, is it because is it going to be just as much focus on getting the product out the door as it is Mm -hmm. selling the product? Then you know, you make that decision and and then you weigh the pros and cons of outsourcing. When you outsource, you generally save money. You generally save 10 to 20 percent of your own internal costs. Um, Outsourced companies are a little more efficient. They can share labor amongst different customers. You don't keep people around not doing anything. So there's always work to do so they're more efficient. You can economically manage volume swings uh, when you Mm -hmm. outsource it, right? We're geared to be able to handle differential volumes day to day, week to week, right? We know how to source people. We know how to effectively use them. When you outsource, you can focus on your core business and your core business isn't getting the product out the door. Your core business is growing your company, selling, figuring out different things that you have to do to stay competitive, to grow, to be a differentiator. And then, you know, again, when you outsource, you can scale very, very quickly, both up and down. Hey, I've got an idea. I want to have a promotion at the end of this month. It's two weeks away. Harry, we're going to run a promotion. We think we're going to have two to three X of the sales over a four day period boom, you're done. The back end is all better You've been taken care of. Harry's gonna figure out what he's gotta to do to get that four times volume through. You can now focus on getting, the, getting your message out to people to mm-hmm. buy. The cons, um, potentially, you may lose a little bit of control, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're now outsourcing it to someone, Harry and his people, do they really care like my people care? Are they really going to focus on the product and are they going to give it the attention? that my people will have. I can just walk in my warehouse and see what my people are doing. You know, Harry's is not here. Maybe it's a hundred miles away. Maybe it's just a block away, but I don't, I don't have that direct access that I had before. Um, you may lose people when you make an outsourcing decision. Um, mm-hmm. As a third party provider, we're more than happy uh, to take the people that work for you into our environment. Uh, that that's great. They already bring tribal knowledge. They've already got ideas of how this should happen. You've probably already pre-screened them and indoctrinated them. We'd be more than happy to take them on. Sometimes it's not practical. Your office may be mm-hmm. in New York. Your shipping may be in Dallas. Your people won't yeah. have an opportunity. So that's a decision that, gee, these people have been loyal to me as I've grown my business. I can potentially lose them. Um, and then you know managing a third-party provider is not the same as managing your own warehouse it's a very very different skill set you're not managing directly you've now given your your business to another another company and you've got to learn how to manage that company effectively which is really a matter of setting up the right service level agreements hey i want 99 on time shipping i want you to receive product within six hours i want this level mm-hmm. of inventory accuracy You know, in in, in a way, it's a little bit of a relief because now you can't just drive the standards that you want and manage that versus you're standing in the middle of a warehouse trying to figure out how to make all that happen. Very, very different skill set in managing through someone versus doing it yourself might be a great example is yeah. that you become a general contractor you used to kind of do all the things in your house you did the plumbing you did the the framing you did the electrical stuff now you're getting bigger you can't do that anymore now you've got to hire electricians you've got to hire a, a framing company you've got to hire a plumbing company and you've got to manage them to do the work the same way you've done that a little bit different yeah that's all top
0: top advice top advice let's um if i if i may um, let's talk to the guy that actually does have a warehouse for a second, uh, and they are, they've got a little, you know, distribution center for their own e-commerce business. What are some of the things that you would advise that they think about for their own business? Some of the key elements they definitely need to get right in 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 that in that sort of do it do it yourself is a wrong phrase. I mean, but in terms of in their warehouse, what are some of the key things you think they should hit?
1: Uh, well, they should. They should always look at a continuous improvement program, right? Because mm-hmm. um, costs go up. Your your cost of doing business is always going to increase, unless you're in tough economic times. You can assume you're going to have to pay your people a little bit more, more for services. You know, here in the states, uh, every year the uh, the parcel carriers go through a general rate increase of about six percent. I mean, you you can bank on that like death and taxes. It just seems to go up. every year. <laughs> So I think what you need to be thinking about is, you know, how do you how can you continue to provide value uh, because you can't always pass everything through at times that becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, that may make you a little bit less competitive and it may certainly erode your bottom margin. So you want to constantly be focusing on how can I get more productive with the people that I have, how can I get more efficient. Maybe you're doing everything manually today. So you want to start to think about how do I automate some of this stuff, right? What do I need to think about for automation and what do I think about for processes? So they, they need to be thinking about the future and, and how they build their, you know, how they how they approach the future and how they're gonna really build their business. So you don't want to build the future state. For five years down the road, and think you're going to be five or six times bigger, and then uh, things slow down for you. I mean, we had that happen with a beverage, uh, a beverage. Uh, we know of a beverage um, manufacturer or retailer mm-hmm. that was just going through the roof and wound up building five times, and then, you know, all of a sudden it was a little bit faddish and not really staying power. It wasn't Coca-Cola, it wasn't Pepsi-Cola. Uh, And they wound up not being able to carry all this that they've invested. They wound up going bankrupt. uh, bankrupt. Um, You know, consequently, I think they should think about taking a modular approach to their business growth. Um, Mm -hmm. Legos, right? You can build a little Lego Mm -hmm. thing, but when you need to add on, it's very simple to add on. You need to think about your business the same way. How can you modularize it so that you can grow incrementally? Uh, Ideally, they're gonna start to think about the levels of technology, simple things. Uh, Maybe they needed uh, an enhanced WM system, not a small investment, but what are some of the things that they can invest in? Automatic tapers, automatic labelers, uh, carton erectors. Uh, These are not high tech items, but these are items that can make them more efficient and that are affordable. Mm -hmm. But if they've got any kind of a serious growth plan, They really start need to start thinking about outsourcing to a third party provider uh, that can help them grow and grow with them and relieve them of that. You know, those decisions and those investments, they're not small and insignificant. You know, you can go to a third party who's already made those investments as a shared resource and use that might be the difference between buying your own jet because you think you're going to be flying around a lot and still using commercial airlines for where you want to go yeah Yeah. hey i'm starting to travel now every week maybe i need to buy my own airplane i mean we 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 may laugh about that and for certain people it may very very well Mm. be the right thing to do but for most people we can agree it's not they've got to figure out how to fly commercial how to buy in advance how to get that to 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 work a little bit more efficiently for them one of the things that i came across um Talking
0: about automation and 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 some of the machines that you mentioned uh, was on the, a blog on your company website, the MWare blog. It says until machines completely replace people, the biggest productivity and profit killer in the B two C warehouse is an inability to hold on to warehouse workers. Uh, which I thought was a really insightful comment. And you, the blog goes on to say we estimate that each warehouse associate who leaves cost companies about eight and a half thousand dollars um is this something uh that you've noticed i mean obviously it's on your company blog but i i maybe you can just expand on that a little
1: bit further so the current situation here in the states uh is that there's 11 million open jobs and 4 million people um, right. Right. If you believe that. So you, mm-hmm. it's a it's a um, it's a buyer's market. If you want to think about employees and associates. Clearly, when mm-hmm. someone leaves, you've got to go through retraining. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've got to go through a learning curve that takes time. Their efficiency, their productivity doesn't come up to speed for three, four months, depending upon what they're doing. It's a morale killer. People start to leave yeah. around. you. You start to wonder, why am I here? What do these people know who are coming and going that I don't know? Uh, so it's very, very real. Um, it's something that has to be focused on, um, and it's something today that you have to work with your associates to make sure you make it a good place. You're competitive. Um, you include them; they're part of the solution. They're not just chattel who comes in and goes and you know do what we tell you to do. It's a very different environment. You want them to feel a part of. Uh, you want them to feel a part of the solution, and that they make a difference which means you have to resource them properly. You have to give them the right tools uh, and you've got to spend time and not take for granted they're going to be here. You've actually got to spend time uh, investing in them and making sure you hear them, spend time with them, know them, understand what drives them. We use, uh, we use a tool here uh, called Predictive Index, which makes sure that we can match people to the right job so that they're happy doing it as opposed to it's a paycheck, I need a paycheck. Uh, Yeah, I think, um, you know, wages here in the States have gone through the roof because of supply and demand, uh, because businesses are growing um, and you don't want employees leaving for 50 cents or 25 cents. You really want them to stay because they want to be part of what you're doing. They believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They want to be part of it. They feel you're putting back in them. Just like opening up that box and having that great experience. They like walking through your door and not feeling like they're going to be working on the salt mine for eight hours that, hey, I'm going to be in here. I enjoy being here. I've got people I enjoy working with, and I'm appreciated when I'm here. That more than anything else, uh, next to a paycheck is what people really, really want. They want to be appreciated. They want to pat on the back. They want to shout out when they do a great job yeah that's, that's so helpful because i i
0: think I, I I can't remember if it was the same blog or somewhere else that I've read it that the churn rate of staff in warehouses is like forty percent or some crazy high amount of people um that just come and go and are dissatisfied, and the high costs associated with that are, are worth bearing in mind actually if you're an e commerce entrepreneur and you do need staff in your in your warehouse uh I thought that was super super insightful The other thing um this was on a blog uh I think you wrote this one um harry on multichannelmerchant.com and this is something else that uh, when i noticed this in our own e-commerce businesses it changed it changed how we did things significantly if i'm honest with you uh, and i just wanted to draw it out and um, if you currently ship one hundred thousand items per year with a 98.5 percent accuracy that means that 1500 customers won't get the right order So, for example, you could wind up paying around $43.23. I think this was based on an example per error, which equates to 65 grand per year uh, to correct these issues on a 90. So at first glance, 98.5% accuracy sounds really good. But then when you throw the mathematics in this and go, hang on a minute, there's a cost here. Uh, of putting something right and you need to track that um to a total of 65 grand this is what freaked me out uh, a few years ago when we tracked you know we were losing like 70 grand a year just because on picking and packing errors
1: uh, in the in the warehouse and we thought we were doing pretty good you were probably doing pretty good and to your point it's it's great when you tell customers i'm going to give you 98.5 or 99 they're, they're all excited about it that's great Until they do what you do and put pencil to paper and say, wait a minute, what does that 1% mean? Well, I'm going to disappoint 500 customers a month for you. And they, wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, that's what 99% means. You know, Mm -hmm. at O'Hare Airport, 99% means two takeoffs, or landings are not going to make it every day. That's what 99% means in the airline business. 99% in our business, because we have people working Yes, we're going to have it. And so we need to talk about that. You know, what is an acceptable Mm -hmm. level for you? And what are you willing to, what do you think it's worth it to go from 99 to 99.5 to 99.9? And there are things that we can do, obviously, additional checks. uh, But more importantly, it's really technology that you can add in. Because if you think about the repetitive nature of what people do, we have some people who can pick 200 orders an hour. Over a seven-hour day, they're picking 1,400 orders, couple of line items. You know, they may make a mistake or two, right? They're human. You're mm-hmm. not dealing with robots here. So we, we've installed things like pick the light, uh, where they can just focus on a light that lights up, and they go into that bin, and it tells them two, and they pick two from that. Um, that that helps improve accuracy. Obviously, the ability to scan an item improves accuracy. Weight scales that weigh shipments before they go out, auto that helps accuracy. Um, We have voice pick in our warehouse that literally tells someone what they need to pick and they need to respond back and they also need to scan back. So there are levels and layers of quality that you Mm. can put in, but they are not inexpensive. As you talk about someone who is growing their business and wants this level of of accuracy, um, this is what they're looking at. This is what they have to do. Mm. Now, this is why in, in the airline industry, it's why we use checklists, no matter how many years you've been flying, every pilot that works for an airline, every day for everything has a checklist to run through. And you need to be thankful for that because it's easy to forget stuff <laughs> because you have multiple flights in a day. And there have been issues in the airline industry previously where they've run through a checklist and didn't do it diligently and it wound up not with a good outcome.
0: Yeah, that's very good. Harry, my, uh, I'm, I'm aware of time here. And so um, I, I, I just I, I wanted to touch on one. My final question uh, quickly, um, and I, I should have maybe asked this of the stocks. I think it's quite an important question. One of the things that I've noticed um, with our customers and with even me in my own demand uh, in, in buying online is I am becoming more and more aware of the sustainability issues with e-commerce, uh, especially around shipping and shipping. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that is not environmentally sustainable. I think it's becoming a, a bigger and bigger global problem. Um, what are some of the things that you see there in, in your industry that are improving sustainability?
1: Um, packaging. Start with packaging, right? Uh, make sure that packaging, first and foremost, is the right size so there's not waste that's associated with it for a lot of reasons, not just sustainability but cost. Uh, if you're shipping in oversized boxes, you're going to pay a dimensional uh, penalty uh, with parcel carriers. Uh, but you're also going to put more stuff potentially in a landfill if you do that. So making sure that packaging is right, really um, going away from plastics to more paper products always helps. So uh, using using paper uh, as a as a uh, as a dunnage inside the package versus plastic airbags peanuts. Uh, those things don't necessarily dissolve well in a, in a landfill, but paper does. Mm. Paper's recyclable. Cardboard is recyclable. So uh, we're trying to use not just materials that can be recycled, but we're trying to use materials that have been recycled so that we're not just mm. starting, you know, we're not always using something new. We're outsourcing uh, uh, corrugated that's been recycled, paper that's been recycled. And so from a sustainability perspective, uh, we can do that. And we can do that while we lower costs as well. Mm.
0: No, that's super important. One of the things that, um, I, if you're a regular listener to the show, you will have heard me mention this before, but one of the things that we did uh, in our e-commerce business was we sh- we, we sh- substituted, I can't say that word, we substituted You know the plastic bubbles um, that, you, that people use. Uh, we substituted them for popcorn uh, because we found popcorn was a lightweight material, it was biodegradable. It was a little bit fun. It was quirky, so customers talked about it. Obviously, it didn't have caramel or butter on it. It was just plain popcorn. Um, And it was just great for us, you know, and customers absolutely loved it. And they were posting pictures of it all over social media. um, And it meant the warehouse smelled of popcorn. And if you ever needed a low calorie snack, you just went to the warehouse and got some. (laughs) It was a great packaging material. Really, really good. Uh, Harry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us. Uh, It's been an absolute treat. I can't believe how quickly the time's gone, if I'm honest with you. Uh, How do people reach you? How do they connect with you? They wanna if they wanna if, if they want to do that.
1: Well, man, it's been a pleasure as well. Thank you for having me. If people need to reach me, best way is email. It would be harry.draypush D-R-A-J-P-U-C-H at amwarelogistics.com. Or just take that mouthful name and look me up on LinkedIn. You can message me that way as well. <laughs> Yeah, I
0: did have to clarify how I pronounced your surname at the start, didn't I? It's it's great. Uh, And we will, of course, link to Harry, both his email and his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can get those for free uh, on the website, ecommercepodcast.net. But Harry, uh, from me, I genuinely really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, for sharing a lot of value. Matt, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Hope we do it again.
0: So, there you have it. What a fantastic conversation. Huge thanks again to Harry for joining me today. Love that conversation. What a legend. What a lot of experience that chap has. Uh, also, let me give a big shout out to today's show sponsor, the e commerce cohort. Head over to ecommercecohort.com for more information about this new type of membership and community that you can join. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, because as I like to say, we have some great episodes lined up and I don't.